Radical, uh, something you need to know about it is that when we say radical, and we've talked about this pretty much every week, when we talk about the word radical, um, and especially as it relates to religious, or religiosity, or religiousism, or whatever, religious radicalist, um, oftentimes it's a very negative connotation, uh, and when we kind of understand that when we say anything that's radical, um, most of us think of either... Um, if you're super Christian and maybe, you know, you read this book by David Platt called Radical, you think, okay, we're all going to sell everything and be homeless. Um, or you think that maybe, you know, the other end of radical is you've experienced some people that you would consider religious radicals. And they do some crazy stuff. They stand, you know, and maybe in the Christian circle. Um, they stand on the corner and they hold a big sign. Or they stand in the union at Florida State and they hold a big sign. And, you know, whoever can condemn the most people, you know, wins. High five, let's go home and tell everybody they're going to hell. And that's kind of your, your view of, of religious radicals. Or maybe it's in a different country, a different, you know, religion where people just do sometimes stuff that's just bonkers and you see it and you hear about it on the news and you think, man, who in their right mind, I mean, come on, what normal person would do something like that? What normal person would think that would be okay? In fact, what person in their right mind would think God would be calling them to do something so contrary to any kind of belief, any worldview, any ideology, any loving God? I mean, come on, how could a loving God ask someone to do what, you know, you just did. And, and so when we talk about the idea of religious radical, and especially everyday radical, as we're kind of pressing into this book of Philippians, the idea behind it isn't that you would go and haul off and do something crazy and ridiculous or anything like that. The idea is that God has called you and God has called me in our everyday life to be different. God has called us in our everyday life to be people, to be men and women of extraordinary faith who basically just live life a little bit differently. And that little bit differently, a little bit differently, a little bit differently in a bunch of different areas of your life turns out to being a radical difference. Stuff that most people honestly don't do. Stuff like we talked about in Philippians chapter 1 where Paul said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living, it's going to be to help you and it's going to be for fruitful labor to you. So Paul basically said, hey, if I live or if I die, it doesn't matter to me, which sounds a little bit like we're going to drink the Kool-Aid and jump off the building at the end of the service. But what he really meant by that is, hey, if I can hang out with you, if I can hang out with Jesus, I'm choosing Jesus all day, every day. It's just that simple. So for me, I would rather be with Jesus. But if God's called me to continue here on this earth, my purpose, my function on the earth is very simple. It's to help you in your faith. And he goes on to say in, in Philippians chapter 2, he talks about, man, as a Christian, as someone who professes belief in Jesus, you shouldn't just be like a nice person who smiles. The idea is that you would be a person who is radically others-focused, who is radically others-focused. You care and you love and you serve when it seems like no one else is willing to care, no one else is willing to love, and no one else is willing to serve. Paul would walk in and he'd say, hey, Chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. In humility, consider everyone else better than yourself. You should look not only to your interests, but also to the interests of others. And Jesus would kind of piggyback on that. I guess Paul would piggyback on what Jesus said when Jesus kind of talked to this group. And he taught them back basically the same principle and said, hey, here's what's common. Here's what's common. What's common is that you would love the people who love you. You would love the people who maybe look like you. You would love the people who act like you. But you would love the people who love you. And we're all good at people loving people who love us. But when we get in community groups and it's prayer request time, the prayer request time are, you know, my husband is doing such a good job of loving me. I just pray that I can love him too because I don't love him right now. That, that's not the prayer request. The prayer request is I have this boss. And I would like to poke their eyes out with spoons if I could. Potentially a spork to make it a little bit easier on me. 
And that's about, you know, and, and I just hate them, the way they treated me, the way they talked to me, the way that they just, I mean, they're so, you know, absorbed with their stuff. And we talked about this with our community group. Let, let's be honest. Sometimes the most difficult person to serve is the person that feels like they ought to be served. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can serve a lot of people, and I can help you, and I can love you, until I serve you, and you're like, that's right, because you ought to serve me. And I'm like, that's right. I would love to punch you in the throat right now. <laughs> but Paul would step back and say, hey, as a Christian, I know this is different. I know this is counterintuitive. In fact, this is counterintuitive to oftentimes how you feel. Good thing life isn't about how you feel. But he would say, hey, love God. Love God, yeah, absolutely, for chapter 1. In chapter 2, I want you to love other people with a love that just kind of goes beyond how you feel, goes beyond what you think. A love that you don't think that maybe you have inside of you. That you would do nothing for yourself and everything for other people. In chapter 3, he continues on with this same idea. And he launches into this whole thing to say, hey, my life, my life, everything I have, I consider a loss compared to knowing Christ. I consider it all lost. Yeah, I have this whole religious background. I have this whole, you know, my, 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 my kind of genealogy going back, my heritage going back in the faith. I mean, I just have, you know, a tremendous amount of spiritual momentum in terms of my family. I know a ton about the Bible. In fact, I lived a bunch of the scripture. But who cares? Because the goal, the goal is simple. The goal is to know Jesus better and have a right standing with God that has nothing to do with what I do but everything to do with what God did for me, what Jesus did for me when he died on the cross. And it's not about my behavior. It's about Jesus. And so Paul, in in chapter 4, he's going to launch into this last little part. And I'm going to be honest. I'm transparent, we'll say. When I was preparing for this, um, I'm reading through it, and I'm like, man, sometimes, you know, well, not sometimes. I try to have something compelling to say. Let me, let me just be honest. I try to get up here and say something that maybe is going to motivate you, maybe going to mobilize you, maybe going to make a little difference. You know, you're going to go back and, you know, have, you know, your lunch at Merv's. I, when we used to go to church, we used to go to Quincy's after church or Sunny's after church. A little bit of a drive right now. So, you know, maybe you go to Voodoo Dog after lunch and you're sitting there saying, man, I, was, I felt this way or, you know, I really wanted to or I'm going to go read my Bible. You know, that's kind of the goal at the end of the sermon. Well, as, as I was praying through this and I was reading through this, Honestly, I was going through Philippians chapter 4 and like, you know, that's good advice. <laughs> but it's not really that stirring. You ever read the Bible and it was like that? You don't have to say yes because then you're going to feel like a bad person. But, you know, you read the Bible and it, and it was some interesting stuff and you kind of read it and it's just kind of like, okay. But come on, God. I mean, God. I don't know if you know how this church thing works. But in a, in a couple days or, you know, a day and a couple hours, God, I got to have something. And, you know, if, 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 it, if it, you know, honestly, if it sucks, they're not coming back. So, you know, God, come on, give me something compelling to say. Give me something, you know, some huge thing. As I'm reading through this, I'm reading through this. I'm like, you know, it's, it, honestly, it's tremendous advice. It's very incredible advice. And it's stuff that if you, you know, implemented and all that, you know, you, it, it, would, it would be pretty radical. But here's what I thought. And, and, and let me see if I can articulate this clearly. As I was reading through Philippians 4, it wasn't specifically what Paul said that made the world a difference to me, but it was who Paul said it to. Because oftentimes what happens as us who are the readers of Scripture, we automatically interpret advice that the Bible gives to our context. 
And sometimes when we interpret the scriptures to our context too quickly, we lose the power to the context with which it was written. That is to say, when they read what Paul wrote in chapter 4, it meant a whole nother level or a whole nother dynamic than what we read. And let me tell you what that means. In their day and in their age, they faced a tremendous amount of persecution. In fact, Paul's writing this in jail in Rome. And everyone who was a Christian at the time, when you signed up, this wasn't like, you know, where you're at camp and or you're, you're you know, on a Sunday or it's Easter Sunday and the pastor's giving a message and, you know, the keys are playing in the background and everyone's like halfway crying and it's like, get saved. And then everybody walks forward. You know, you have this little emotional moment. You felt some goosebumps. You thought it was the Holy Spirit. So, you know, you just, you win. And your mom said, I've been praying. You know, and that's fine. But what happens with them is when you decided that you were going to be a follower of Christ, when you made the decision, and more specifically, when you made the public declaration, when you got baptized and publicly said, I am a follower of Christ, it meant at any instant from that time forward, you could be jailed or killed for your faith, by the way, by the government. It was legal. This wasn't a rando group that you might get persecuted from. The people, the country in which you live could have put you in jail or potentially killed you for your faith. And by the way, it was only getting worse. Now here's what's unbelievable about the early church. Christians would die. Christians would get, you know, persecuted. Christians would get lit on fire. Christians would get fed to lions. Christians would get beat. Christians would get whipped. Christians would face all kinds of stuff. But people kept coming to know Jesus. That's ridiculous. Most of us, if like we think that we're going to face any adversity for our faith, we're super hesitant. But in the midst of extreme physical uncertainty, pain, suffering, in a literal sense for their faith, not like pain and suffering that, you know, when we all go through pain and suffering, we all have bad things that happen. We all, you know, hear some news that we wish we never heard. We all hear about the accident that we wish we had never, had, had never happened. But I'm talking about as a direct relationship to their faith. And if you were going to be a Christian, you could be killed or jailed or beaten for your faith in Jesus. And so Paul writes these words in chapter 4. And I'm, we're just going to kind of keep going back to that. And at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about us. But my goal for this week or for this, this, this Sunday is not for us to say, okay, so here's what it looks like to not worry about anything but in, you know, in, in reverence to God, submit your prayers and requests and the peace which passes all understanding. So I don't know if I'm going to get it raised or not, so I'm going to pray about it. No, these, we're just going to get there in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. All right, so chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. He said, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Eodi, and I treat you, I have never been able to pronounce this name before, so I'm just going to say Syntyche, all right? If you're like a studier of the Bible, then trust me, that's what it is. <laughs> to agree in the Lord, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, he kind of starts and says, okay, so there's a, apparently some little, you know, scuffle that's happening. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know what the dynamics are. We don't know the context. We really don't know anything. But for some reason, these two people weren't getting along. He says, okay, so you got to start getting along. Because by the way, 
you got more things to worry about than what you're going with, what you're probably arguing about right now. You're probably arguing about some stuff, but there's a whole world, by the way, that needs to hear Jesus, and there's a whole world that once they decide to believe in Jesus could get fed to a lion. So let's just stop bickering about whatever you're, I mean, I'm sure whatever you're talking about is important. You know, he took your coffee, she took your, you know, robe. I don't know what they had, they like, scuffled about in the back day. You know, she stole my sandal. Like, can you believe it? You know, she untied my flip-flop when I was walking. I was so ticked, you know, gave me a flat tire. She said, come on, come on. I'm sure what you're talking about is important, but, but, but come on. And in, in church, help them out. Help them out. When you see them in the scuffle, help them out. But in, in here's kind of where he really starts to get to it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, pause. Whenever Paul talks about rejoicing, especially as it relates to the book of Philippians, there is a stark contrast to what they're feeling. Because what they're feeling oftentimes is not rejoicing. What they're feeling is, Paul, you're telling us to rejoice, but you're in jail right now. There's not a lot of rejoicing that happens in jail. Paul says, no, I want you to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. But Paul, isn't this a time for like mourning? Isn't this a time for like extreme concern? Isn't this a time for extreme worry? I mean, Paul, any of us at any time can get persecuted for our faith. Any of us at any time can be killed for our faith. And Paul would say, no. I want you to rejoice always. In fact, at the moment, at the moment, at the time, in the context where you feel like you have the least to rejoice about, where you're potentially facing the most persecution, when you're potentially facing the most desperate, the most deep, and the most dark situation, that's the time when a Christian rejoices. Because anybody can rejoice when they just got a raise and they just got married and they just bought a new house and life is good. But it takes a whole different type of person to rejoice when you just lost your job, lost your house, and found out you have cancer. The person who can rejoice in that is radically different. And Paul says, so rejoice. And I know right now you guys have a lot to worry about. He says, so let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone that the Lord is at hand. But verse 6, but don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And again, the context of this makes this so dynamic. Because as Paul's talking to this group of people, and he's speaking to them, or he's writing to them in this instance, Paul's saying, okay, I know you got a lot to worry about, and I'm not saying you don't. I'm not saying what you got to worry about is stupid. I'm not saying what you got to worry about is meaningless. I'm not saying what you got to worry about isn't worth worrying about. But here's what I am saying. You should make your prayers... You should make your request. You should make those known to God. And let me, let me just tell you. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind. Now pause. This is why reading the scripture in its totality is so critical. Because what you and I might have a tendency to do in this situation 
is simply to say, okay, let me just go pray. I'm worried about something, let me just go pray. And you go pray, and you go pray, and you go pray, and you say, okay, God, I'm making my submit. You know, I'm kind of thankful. Like, I don't even know exactly what that means in this context, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be cheerful maybe, I'm trying to be happy maybe, and I'm praying to you. And so you get done praying, and you say amen, and you're still super worried. You get done praying, and you say amen, and you still got a load of, of, of world around you. You still got a load of debt around you. You still got a load of responsibility around you. You still got the same stuff that you've been dealing with, and it's still playing and repeating in the back of your mind. And you don't have any peace. The key to this entire chapter 4 is what happens in chapter 1, 2, and 3. Because I don't care how much you pray. If everything isn't a loss compared to knowing Christ, you will not have peace. If to live is Christ and to die is not gain, you will not have peace. Because the idea here is when you pray, when you make your request known to your heavenly Father, who, by the way, already knows and already is in control, if you don't have full submission to God, if you haven't fully given your life to God, if you don't have full hope and full trust in the fact that if he gave his son to die for you, to take away your sins, that he loves you and cares for you and wants what's best for you, even that is not, if it's not what's physically convenient for you. Because the peace happens when you realize you are in full submission to a Savior who loves you unconditionally. And died for you. Sacrificed for you. And is in full control of everything. Simply the action of prayer does not give you peace. But the action of prayer accompanied with a full submission to God. With a full trust in God. With a full God, I'll do anything for you, wherever. Everything I have is a loss compared to you. In fact, if I die, that's gain because I'm going to be with you. So regardless of what happens, God, I trust you. And you have that mindset, you have that submission, and you take it to God and say, God, I also got some crap going on. To them, God, there's this government. There's these people. There's this group. For them, there's also this huge religious sect that they're out to get us. And so, God, we're going to pray to you, and we're going to be thankful to you, knowing that you're never going to give us anything beyond what we can take, and knowing that you work all things out for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So, God, we trust you. Now, that kind of faith, let me just say, that kind of faith is radically different than what's commonly practiced in Christianity today. We say, God, my job is stressing me out. So let me pray. God, my family's stressing me out. Let me pray. God, you know, this is pressing me out. God, money's stressing me out. God, these bills are stressing me out. But Paul, when he talked about this, talked to a group who had fully devoted their lives to Jesus and in the midst of extreme persecution, felt joy and peace. 
So he goes on to say, he says, finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So again, life's swirling, life's crazy, tons of persecution happening. Who knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow? We don't know, but, but I, I, you can easily focus on all that. But in the midst of all that, I just want you to think about what's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's excellent. I don't want you to spend your time as a Christian Again, for them, in the context of extreme persecution, I don't want you to spend your time thinking about negative stuff and not like, oh, just think about positive, name it and claim it, health and wealth gospel, you know? If that was the case, it'd be like, hey, everybody think about a million dollars, we're all going to get a million dollars when we walk out of here. That's not what he's saying. He said, okay, I just want you to think about things that are godly at a time that you don't want to think about that. At the time that everything inside of you potentially wants to think about what could happen and what's the negative situation and what might happen and how you're worried and how you're scared and how you just don't know. He says, no, 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 no. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You know God better than that. You know God better than that. God's going to protect you. God's got your back. God is going to go before you. In fact, God already knows. God has ultimate strength, ultimate power. And by the way, your life is fully submitted to him. So instead of in the middle of extreme negativity, when everyone else is complaining, everyone else is moaning, everybody else is groaning, I want you to think about what's pure and what's just and what's excellent. I want you to think about that stuff. So, at this point, the difficulty is that we're all, you know, again, you're, there's a sender and a receiver, and you're kind of trying to interpret and figure out where we're going. The difficult part that we all kind of get to at this point in the sermon is that this is just tough. It really is difficult. I mean, it's easy to say in a sermon. It's easy to say from stage. It's easy to say, you should do it, you should do it, you should, you know, you should try, you should pray, you should have peace. If you really are going through an incredibly difficult life situation right now, in a room this size, I mean, it's true every Sunday. There's some of you guys who walked in, and this weekend you got news that you hoped you would never get. Maybe last month you got news that you hoped you would never get. Maybe it's not news that you got, but maybe you just found that there's possibility of news, there's uncertainty. And it sounds good to say to have peace in this situation. And it sounds easy to say, you know, oh, you should, you should pray about it. You should feel at peace. But, but let's all just be very honest. When your world is crashing down, if your world is crashing down currently, it's a whole nother ball game. Now, thankfully, Paul has been through a lot of this. Paul, at this point in his life, had been beaten a number of times. Had been beaten to the point where they left him because they thought he was dead. Had been whipped a number of times. Had been jailed for his faith. 
And so Paul kind of, with, with, with an incredible amount of experience with pain, an incredible amount of experience with suffering, an incredible amount of experience with, with, with persecution for his faith, says this. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now at length, you have renewed your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And by the way, not that I'm speaking of being in need necessarily. For I have learned. And Paul would say, no, no, this for I have learned. This isn't just like, hey, this is a cool lesson I learned yesterday. This is a cool thing, you know, one of the, you know, I was having my quiet time and I was praying. And God kind of said, hey, Paul, here's something cool. He said, no, no, no. For, for Paul, again, this was a life of learning this lesson. This was a continual Paul had gone over and over and over and over and suffered and suffered and suffered and suffered and been beaten and been beaten and been stoned and been stoned and been whipped and been whipped and had been shipwrecked, had been kicked out of cities. I mean, just had faced incredible things for his face. So he says, and so here's what I've learned from all that. For I have learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. Now let me just pause there. That in and of itself is radically different. There are very few content people in our world. There are very few people who have genuine contentment in our world. And I don't mean contentment in the sense of apathy, you never want to get better, you never want to improve. But I mean contentment in the sense that making progress and improvement doesn't substantiate who you are. That they are content with where they are, with what they have, more specifically with who they are because of who their Savior is. We live in a world where, man, everything, everything is go forward. Everything is do more. Everything is have more. Everything is have more luxury, have more comfort. The basic, one of the basic fundamentals, if you're a business major, you know this, one of the basic fundamentals of marketing is that you make someone feel discontent without, their, without your product and show how your product can fulfill that discontentment. The idea, the idea of contentment in our day, in our culture, in our society is almost lost. And Paul reaches back and says, especially what I've learned through suffering. Especially what I've learned through being beat. Especially what I've learned from a life of over and over and over and over. Not having, not getting, not having enough, not being, you know, not, 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 when I go to a city, them not being warm and receptive. I say, oh, he's bringing the gospel. Come on in. Our side of town needs that. They say, no, get out, kick him out, beat him, you know, do anything we can to get this guy out of our city. And then he'll go from one city to the next city. And as the way to the next city, he gets beaten again. Our way to the next city, he gets, he, he's in a boat and he gets shipwrecked. And you would think, God, why? Am I not doing what you want me to do? Am I not doing what you've called me to do? I feel like I'm in the middle of your will, but no matter how much I pursue your will, it seems like bad things continue to happen. And Paul would say, in the middle of all that, I'm not in want. In fact, in the middle of that, I find out the secret to how to be content. 
the secret to regardless of what happens to me, to regardless of the news, to regardless of my successes, to regardless of my failures. I found content when I get a raise, and I found how to be content when I get fired. I found out how to be content when I get a new house or when I have to lose my house. I found out how to be content when I am just as healthy as I can be or when I find out that I might not be anymore because of how unhealthy my body is. Paul said with everything. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and of hunger. Abundance and need. And then he pins the word that are probably the most out-of-context words that we have in the entire Bible. Paul says, my secret to contentment isn't even really a secret. It's that whatever I go through in life, I can do. Because the strength of Jesus Christ, the strength of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives inside of me. He says, I can do anything. And when we hear that, you know, it's so, you know, all the football players are at Philippians 4.13 and a little, like, you know, tape up wristbands and, you know, write it on the ball and if you're Tim Tebow, you know, anyways... Paul says, no, it's not about scoring 15 touchdowns and benching 6,000 pounds and, you know, power lifting. He says, no, 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 it's not about that. Here's what it's about. That you would, as a Christian, as someone who has given everything, as someone who God has so loved that he gave everything for you, that he sent his son to die for you. That he gave up his one and only son to be brutally murdered for us. And that you've given your life to that. For you to live is to be more like that and is to die is to see that face to face. Paul says, so the secret to contentment that's so rare the secret to contentment that seems so vague, but when you see it in somebody, is a palatable difference, is a tangible difference between them and everybody else in your office or everybody else at your school or everybody else on your team. This is the secret. It's simple. The secret is Christ in your life. Giving you the strength to do and to be who he's called you to be. Not that you go and you try harder. Not that you go and you just say, okay, maybe I just need to do this, maybe I need to do that. And he said, no. Here's the secret. Jesus. But Jesus will give you the strength. And let me speak frankly to anybody who's going through some terrible stuff in life right now. Because we all face terrible stuff. Maybe for you, maybe you're going through some terrible stuff because of your faith. 
Maybe you're going through some terrible stuff because of, you know, you took a stand for Jesus. Maybe you're, taking a, you're going through some terrible stuff in life specifically because of your faith. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just life happened. Bad stuff happened. Evil exists in the world. But if that's you, let me just tell you. The worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can do, especially if you're a Christian, is to fight this alone. You have a God who so deeply and desperately loved you that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And out of that outpouring of love, he has called you, more so, he's invited you to give your entire life back to him. And when you do that, when you submit your entire life to Christ, it changes everything. It changes how you pray. Because your prayers aren't just, God, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want, amen, make it happen. Your prayers are like Jesus was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he would die. And he would say, God, if there is any other way for you to take this from me, God, if there's any other way, if there's any way for this cup to pass, God, please do that because let's just all be honest, no one wants to die on a cross. That's just not a fun thought. So he said, if there's any other way, but your will be done. Your will be done. And let me just tell you, If you can get to that point in your relationship with God where you are so in love with your heavenly father that when anything happens, your response, because of the strength that God gives you, because of the peace that he gives you, if you can find contentment, you will be radically different. And let me just invite you. If you're going through that right now, when we pray, I just want you to spend some time praying. William in a second is going to come up here and we're going to sing one last, we're going to sing Come Now Fount one last time. And I just want to create some space. Because there's a lot of us who you're not going through. Maybe you've been through some stuff. Maybe you're, you, know, you don't know. You might get the phone call tomorrow. But for those of you who are currently life is crashing down, I just want you to spend some time. And I don't even, honestly, I don't, want you, I don't have an agenda for your prayer. I don't want you to pray this specific thing. I just want you to spend some time being sung over, knowing that he is the fountain of every blessing. And that maybe you need him more than any other time before. And I want you to just spend some time in God's presence. No thoughts, no agendas, no nothing. Just knowing that you are loved and you are cared for by the God of the universe who sustains all things by the power of his mighty word. And he knows you. He has a plan for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He sent his son to die for you. And by the way, you can do anything as he gives you his strength. And so I just want you to spend a little bit of time tapping in to his strength.
And here's my prayer for the rest of us. It's that you would be radically different. And I would be radically different. We would be that city on a hill that can't be hidden. We would be that light that can't be put out. But not because I'm strong and not because you're strong. But because we've given our life to a God who is infinitely strong. And that when that situation comes for you, man, I pray a month from now, a year from now, ten years from now, when life's crashing down, you will know that the secret to not simply making it through any situation life gives you, but to contentment, to rejoicing in the middle of that, is found in Jesus. So let's pray together.